In this episode of the Root Cause Medicine Podcast, we will be discussing infertility with Dr. Daniel Kalish. What's happening now is that women are getting female hormone issues at younger and younger ages. We routinely now run labs on women in their 20s whose hormones look like my 85-year-old patients. That is truly frightening. Welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. Each episode focuses on giving you the information you need to understand the root cause, symptoms, and treatments available for specific medical conditions. In each episode, we'll meet renowned medical experts, specialists, and pioneers who've influenced the way certain conditions and diseases are understood and treated. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Profasi. On today's episode of the Root Cause Medicine Podcast, my guest is Dr. Daniel Kalish. Dr. Kalish is the founder of the Kalish Institute, an online training program dedicated to building functional medicine practices. Since 2006, the Kalish Institute has helped grow practice models for more than 1,000 practitioners worldwide. Dr. Kalish is a highly sought-after speaker and presenter in the integrative and functional medicine spaces and is a current presenter for the Institute of Functional Medicine. Dr. Kalish proudly served as an advisor to the Honorable Patrick Kennedy and is also the author of numerous books, one of which is titled Your Guide to Healthy Hormones. Among many other things, Dr. Kalish has co-published a research study on the evaluation and management of women's hormones. Among many other things that Dr. Kalish has done, you can find more about him at Kalish Wellness as well as at the KalishInstitute.com. Dr. Kalish, welcome to the show. It's great to see you. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. You know, a tremendous amount has happened this past year, Dr. Kalish, and I was actually recently reading through the Journal of the American Medical Association, and they actually released a review on July 6, 2021, this very year, which discussed the diagnosis and management of infertility. And it actually reported that approximately 12.7% of reproductive age women seek treatment for infertility each year. That's a lot. So this comes out to about one in eight women. So this is a heavy topic. You know, when many people hear they can't have kids, it can be pretty saddening. So in your experience, what are some of the most common root issues you see with women and men when it comes to this issue? Well, you know, I just think it, it speaks to this whole global epidemic of everything that we see, right? With diabetes on the increase, metabolic syndrome problems on the increase, cancer on the increase. So people are just becoming less healthy overall. And I think women's and men's fertility just gets swept up in that. So this goes back to like early 1990s, 1992, when I was first studying this stuff. And my first teacher was a man named Dr. John R. Lee, who wrote a really famous book back in those days called what your doctor may not tell you about progesterone. And in the 90s, they were sounding the alarm bells about reproductive problems with fish, with frogs. And humans were starting to get caught up in the mix. But that was 30 years ago. And there were, again, 30 years ago, there were whole categories of fish that were no longer viable. They couldn't reproduce anymore. And so it turns out that our hormonal systems for all animals, it's not just humans, right? All animals, their reproductive systems are very sensitive to environmental toxins, to changes that we are sort of invoking upon this planet. And I think we're just seeing the long-term effects of that starting to get noticed now. 
So true. I absolutely resonate with that. This has been going on for years and years and years, just as our grandparents do not have issues now with eating certain foods. It's now becoming a problem as it has for a while. So absolutely so true. I mean, how do you identify some of these other root issues, though, aside from doing a, maybe an intake with your patients or helping out with practitioners? Yeah, I mean, there's some big picture issues, right? Like one is like just chronic malnutrition. If the person's had a poor diet for their whole life, they just don't have the vitamins, minerals they need, fatty acids that they need to make all the hormones and to make the hormones work, you know? And then there's digestive problems. Often see, almost always see accompanying female hormone issues. So infections in the gut, leaky gut, damage to the gut lining, damage to the immune system in the gut, those kinds of problems usually are going to lead to hormone imbalance. Heavy metals, chemicals. And now that's another thing, you know, thinking about hormone production, what regulates the amount of hormones circulating in the body is how they're cleared, right? So it's not just that sometimes you can't make enough hormones or don't make hormones at the right times, but then the liver's ability to clear hormones can get disturbed, which means that that's the same net effect as making the wrong amount of hormone, you know, if you're not clearing the right amount of hormone, because what ends up circulating in your bloodstream is, is not right either way. And so we can have liver toxicity issues that can lead to these kinds of problems as well. And then I guess you could overlay on top of that intense emotional stress, kind of economic and political instability that's sweeping through the world. I mean, people are just kind of worried now. And, you know, maybe they don't feel as sexual or have sex as often or just not as sexually vibrant when we're, for men and women both, right? When we're under that kind of intense stress because the stress hormones shoot up. And when the human being, the human body prioritizes survival over reproduction, right? So when stress hormones surge and catecholamines surge and the thyroid gets a little wonked out, then the sex hormones often take a hit in response to that. So very true. And you brought up some really good points there. If you can, Dr. Kalos, can you really dive into the different links between fertility and the reproductive hormones and then some of these other organ systems like the thyroid and the gut systems? Because I really don't think many people realize how everything is truly connected in the body and how a lot of these root issues are impacting each other. Yeah, you know what I've been telling patients this for 30 years, which is that I've never had a case where the ovaries spontaneously malfunctioned in complete isolation from the rest of the body. I'm sure that's possible. I've just never seen it. I've never heard of it either in any of the cases that I've seen in the training programs. You know, I teach doctors every week. We have five hours of class a week. We have hundreds of cases a week that I review. And so you think I would have seen it by now if it was a common problem. In other words, the ovaries are responding to, they're a response team. And so I think about it like if you were an alien looking down on this planet and you saw these fires breaking out in cities periodically, and then you always would see these red trucks there, you know, you'd be like, hmm, these guys driving around in red trucks setting fires? No, that's the fire department, right? They're trying to put the fire out. So we don't want to blame the response team here for what's going on. And what's often going on is some kind of internal fire, right? Some kind of internal inflammatory process in the body that's generating this. And so if it's inflammation in the gut, if it's inflammation in the liver, if it's inflammation because you're stressed, if it's inflammation because you're eating inflammatory foods, whatever that source is, right? Then all the hormones sort of jump on. So the thyroid hormone conversion gets thrown off from that inflammation the ability to make cortisol and DHEA in the adrenal glands gets dysregulated. The brain's not doing so well telling the adrenal glands what to do. And then somewhere in the midst of all that, dopamine gets thrown off, brain chemicals, catecholamines start to surge, epinephrine, norepinephrine, adrenaline, all that stuff is surging. And then somewhere in the middle of all that stuff, progesterone and estrogen start to falter. But it's always contextual, right? It's always 
in response to this, what should be a hormone symphony of coordinated, beautiful things happening, just gets a wrench in it and things start to get thrown off. Absolutely. And you talked a lot about inflammation and some of these other things that can ruin the body then leading to these conditions or diagnoses that people are often labeled with, right? And so when we separate the body systems like that, it can be very difficult then to, without identifying the root issues, those people are then stuck with being on a specific medication or something further and further getting away from the root issue. So it sounds like it's kind of safe to say that a lot of these root issues can be and infertility in particular can be mixed in and and mistaken for conditions like PCOS or endometriosis or even other symptoms like heavy menstrual cycles or irregular menstrual cycles. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you know, I think that most women that have fertility problems, if you get their history done well enough, have had hormone problems 5, 10, 15 years prior. If you can go back enough to your point, you know, like, oh yeah, when I was 18, I was diagnosed with PCOS or When I was 15, I got put on birth control because I was having migraine headaches related to my menstrual cycle. So again, it's rare that the fertility problem is the first sign that there is an imbalance in the hormones. It's usually just the one that is bad enough that they want to go see a bunch of doctors for it because it's a pretty serious issue. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. There's a lot of people suffering clearly from infertility if it's one in eight women. So what about women who have been diagnosed with conditions like uterine or fallopian tube issues? How does How do you differentiate those problems from some of these other root issues? Yeah, well, you know what's interesting is that there are these month-long female hormone labs that are available, right? And so you can just do these month-long panels and see if it's a timing problem or production problem or ovulation timing problem with the hormones or not. And it's those are rarely done in fertility cases. And so most of the time, doctors are immediately looking for more complex potential problems. Or they'll give this diagnosis that the woman's having anovulatory cycles or she's sort of not ovulating at all, right? Like she's infertile because she's not ovulating. And then you'll run the month-long lab. This I've seen this hundreds of times. Then you run the month-long lab and you're like, oh, well, yeah, you're ovulating, but it's on day seven. It's a little early. <laughs> so they didn't see it. Or it's on, we just had one in class last week. She was ovulating like on day 23 or something. So like a week late, right? Eight days late. And so... It's very rare to see women that don't ovulate. Usually when they're diagnosed with some kind of more dramatic condition, like they're not ovulating, it's because the timing of the cycle is off. And you can capture that if you do a simple test. And again, I'm sure there are people that exist that really do have these more serious medical issues. But the vast majority of women that have a fertility problem, you can see it on these month-long tests and you can see the underlying causes for it on the other functional medicine tests that we do quite clearly. Well, that's great news. So the one in eight women who are suffering with this, who are listening, might not be able to, might not necessarily have to continue to deal with this if they get some of the proper testing. Is that correct then? No, absolutely. If you see someone who's experienced has done a bunch of fertility cases, the odds are in your favor that you could have it solved. I mean, it's certainly not 100%, but I say the vast majority of people can be helped dramatically. It takes some commitment though, right? Obviously you have to stop drinking coffee and you have to, you know, eat a really healthy breakfast. And there's things that you have to do to participate to make it happen. But most of the time when women want to have a baby, they're all too happy to make these changes where you know, perhaps it maybe it'd be harder to do if you didn't have that kind of pressure that you want to have a child on you. Absolutely. I think the birth of a child definitely can make people jump into action a little quicker than most things. You talked a little bit about potential risk factors, like you're saying, possibly you have too much maybe coffee consumption or some of these other things. Can you dive a little bit into 
maybe some of these other risk factors. And then again, how do you test? And you mentioned some of these tests as well. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So by risk factors, you mean like lifestyle stuff that people do? Yeah, like lifestyle risk factors. And again, just whether that's weight management, whether that is, again, types of food that they're eating, whether that is the chemicals they might be exposed to, all these different things, stress. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I try to look at it in the systems basis, right? So we think of these three body systems. So the first one would be related to the hormones themselves, including stress hormones. So if there's a lot of emotional stress, dietary stress, inflammatory stress, anything like that going on, that's significant. You kind of have to figure that out. The second system is the microbiome. And it's amazing. Like we did this years ago when I used to work in one of these labs, maybe 25 years ago, but we took like a hundred of the cases that had the most severe female hormone imbalances, like fertility and other kinds of problems. And then we lined up next to them all the GI testing that we had and the gluten intolerance testing that we had. And you could just see it on this wall. We did this. We must have been bored. I don't know. There wasn't a lot going on. The phones weren't ringing or whatever this day. But you could literally see this on the wall where as these hundreds of patients of labs got worse in terms of hormone imbalances, their digestive problems just paralleled that in exact accordance, right? And when I saw that, I was like, oh, maybe this is a thing. Maybe if you're not digesting well, you're not eating well, you've got parasites, bacteria, yeast overgrowth, leaky gut. You've got you know, this whole like, suppressed immune system in the gut lining and you're not absorbing nutrients well, maybe that makes it really hard to get pregnant, right? Because that in and of itself is the origin of a lot of hormone imbalances. And so the corollary of that is that you can fix the gut, right? And you can fix the diet. And then that in and of itself often corrects the hormones, not by itself. And we still have to test the hormones and correct them. And then the other system that we see with a lot of problems are all these liver detox issues because it's such a toxic environment now. And a lot of the Environmental toxins, chemicals, and heavy metals act as endocrine disruptors specifically, right? So when they get into the body tissues, they just just buzz line right for the hormone receptors and interfere with them. In fact, there's this whole class of chemicals that are called xenoestrogens, which means that they're just similar enough to estrogen to get into the estrogen receptors, right? And to act like an estrogen, but in a really evil kind of way. And so that's from plastics. You can even get that from like microwaving your food in a plastic container and then eating it. I mean, there's lots of ways that people get xenoestrogens. You don't have to be working around pesticides and that kind of thing to get the exposure anymore. And so, yeah, the list kind of continues on and on. And the other really big one was insulin resistance. I mean, that one's pretty hard to overcome. That's going to almost always cause other hormone imbalances. Obviously, insulin is a hormone itself, but that's going to often kind of bleed over to causing female hormone issues as well. Absolutely. That's some really, really important points. And so for all of these types of issues that you're explaining and health concerns, how do you test for a lot of this stuff? Yeah. So this is the fun part, right? Is that you can do labs for this. So you test thyroid. Obviously, there's some really standard thyroid panels. You can do There's some more advanced thyroid panels you can do that look at things like the antibodies and the free thyroid hormones, as well as the regular TSH that they do. So usually one of those. And then a complete adrenal panel because the stress hormones can have a really big impact. We're looking at cortisol and DHEA levels. And then if it's a fertility case, we always do these month-long female hormone panels. So they look at estrogen and progesterone production over the course of a whole monthly cycle, and they map out what your production is. So you do a saliva sample about every other day for a month. And those give you the most information you can imagine because you can see when estrogen is spiking, if it's spiking early or late, that would lead to a problem with ovulation timing. 
you can see how much progesterone is being produced. And it's common to see not enough progesterone being produced. And there's really straightforward protocols for correcting those month-long female hormone panels. And then the testing that I'm really into now in the last five, six years is like a comprehensive metabolic assessment, right? So for those, we look at fatty acids, amino acids, and organic acids, all the vitamin and nutrient levels. And you can tell so much from that, right? So for example, fatty acids are used to make hormones. Amino acids are required for all the enzymes that we're talking about. They make all these conversions happen. That part is pretty, oh, and the organic acids, look at all the detox pathways in the liver. So those more advanced metabolic panels really kind of shed a deeper light. Oh, and then the big one I forgot about is oxidative stress, right? So if women are under oxidative stress, and men too, that's going to lead to some pretty severe hormone issues. And when I think about it from the biggest picture, I think of like four big problems, right? Oxidative stress, I call them the four horsemen. Oxidative stress, insulin resistance, are you catabolic or not? Catabolic physiology, catabolic means that you're breaking things down. That's kind of the adrenals and the whole stress response part. And then they say oxidative stress already. Oxidative stress, catabolic physiology, insulin resistance, and forgetting the fourth horseman. I'm blocking it out now. It'll come to me this second though. That's okay. Yeah. Three horsemen for today. But I think we have a good understanding of what you're explaining. That's so fascinating. For those of you who are listening, though, what is really the difference between testing a lot of these things that you just explained and getting to the root issues versus the traditional testing for infertility? And, and what does that treatment look a little bit different? How does that treatment look? Yeah. So the conventional treatments, I'm not against these. A lot of women have success with these. But the conventional treatments really look at it as an isolated problem, like the ovaries are spontaneously malfunctioning as if they are unrelated to the entire rest of the body, the emotions, spiritual life of the person, right? So there's just like, we're just going to take control over this cycle. We're going to force you to ovulate if you're not ovulating. If that doesn't work, then we're going to just grab an egg and fertilize it and force you to hold on to the pregnancy. And I find in general, those treatments can be, well, if they work, great. I don't ever talk to those women, right? They wouldn't come in. But when they don't work and they come to see a practitioner like myself, usually the woman's been kind of a little bit traumatized by it. You know, her, obviously they've been manipulating her hormones for a while and forcing various things to happen. And that has an emotional toll. It's sort of like a chemically induced PMS type problem. Oh, that's pretty severe. And then usually then her cycles kind of struggles to get back to any sense of normalcy. And I think it can be a very frustrating and expensive experience for a lot of people. I would say the majority of fertility cases I've had have already gone through. IVF or some kind of fertility treatment and then didn't work after a few rounds. So they'll come to see me. And if you're listening to this and you have a fertility issue, it makes sense to do it the other way, to try the natural treatments first that are a little less invasive and a little easier to get you through without all the drama and trauma. And then if that doesn't work, then you could escalate to the more conventional approach. That would be a more logical way to sequencing thing to do in my worldview. So it makes sense to always start with can a conservative route first begin before beginning further internal and, and more in-depth procedures and treatments and stuff like that. And Dr. Kalish, you know, genetic testing has now become very, very popular all over, not just the United States, but the world. And so do you believe that, do you think that genetics are also playing a role in some of these risk factors that you discussed with the insulin dysfunction and, and oxidation and environmental chemicals as a whole for infertility? Yeah, I mean, we look at that a lot now. So I do these complex tests that are, you know, look at the genetics of all these metabolic issues that I was talking about earlier. And I don't know what percentage, I never really thought about it that way, 
But it's common. I'd say, you know, every week in my practice, I have a couple patients where the origins of what we're talking about are really genetically based. And there's some kind of defective enzyme in their system that they just don't make properly or some kind of B vitamin that they don't handle very well. And that leads to all these different problems that we're talking about. And in those situations, there's always like a disconnect in that the, the woman's lifestyle factors and how well she's taking care of herself don't really match what the labs show, right? And so you can, there's a variety of kind of well, sort of mathematical techniques you can use, kind of number crunching you can use to look at the lab markers and see if there's a genetic basis to the problem or not. That doesn't mean that you're in a lot of trouble. You know, it means, it means this is not your fault, kind of, I guess. And you can still treat the person. It, usually if there's a genetic variable, then the treatment dosages have to go quite a bit higher. So instead of 50 milligrams of B6, you might need 200, something like that. And then the treatments obviously need to go on for a little bit longer if there's a genetic basis to the problem because you can't really fix the genes necessarily. You need to more work around them so that you're getting a solution, even though there is a genetic flaw in the system, so to speak. That's very interesting, Dr. Kalish. You know, one of the other things that it sounds like commonly is blamed for potential fertility or infertility issues is age, right? And as a woman becomes older, and and don't worry for all the males listening, we're going to get to you guys here shortly. But as a woman ages, you know, the ovaries produce less eggs, but it's not necessarily uncommon for women to become pregnant at age 35 or older. So for all the women who are listening that are getting to that age, can you explain that, how that's possible and any associations with that? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of old, you know, I've been doing this 30 years. And so I have patients that come in now that are the kids of my first round of patients, which is a little freaky. So this happened a couple of years ago. This woman came in. She's this, I'll make up a name. Her name was Mary. That's not her name. But Mary came in and I'm like, okay. And she's like, Susie is my mom. I'm like, your mom. And the last time I saw this woman, she was like literally five years old, right? And now she's like 30. You do the math on that. Okay. So I've had the privilege of being able to see this sort of spectrum happen, right? And for sure, for sure, for sure, what's happening now is that women are getting female hormone issues at younger and younger ages. So like we routinely now run labs on women in their 20s whose hormones look like my 85-year-old patients, okay? And that's frightening. That is truly frightening. And that is, I think, an impact of changing times, right? How the planet has changed, how the soils have changed quality-wise, how environmental toxins have changed, whatever the changes are that are happening that are driving this. And so I think that there are plenty of younger women, let's say teens and 20s, who have hormone problems that are like a middle-aged woman, whether it's diet-related or whatever it may be, right? And so the corollary of that is that if you take really good care of yourself and you're physically fit and you eat extremely well and you do all the right things in terms of supplementing and taking care of yourself as you go through your 20s and 30s, you can be incredibly healthy in your mid to late 30s and easily have a baby. Whereas a woman could be in her early 20s and struggling because maybe she grew up in a socioeconomic situation where she couldn't get good food or whatever it may be that be driving some of these problems in really young women. So it, it does seem that, you know, and especially in the circles that I often, most of my practice years were in Del Mar, California. It's a pretty well-to-do clientele and everybody had the time and money to buy organic food and do all that kind of stuff. And so I think that crowd does quite well. But people that don't have access to those kind of resources, you know, definitely are going to have fertility problems at a higher rate that are going to be more significant to try to fix. 
Interesting. Well, that's a, both a pro and a con. At least the good news is we know that it's capable and it, it is not potentially many issues with conceiving older as you get older, as long as the uh, overall host health sounds like it is in, in good shape. So that's a great. Yeah, exactly. That's good news. All right, males, for all the guys that are listening, it's your turn to, to carry the torch here. Fertility is such a vast topic, but it's true that this area of health is often labeled as just a female issue. And so for those males who are listening, Dr. Kalers, can you explain how this really, this condition is affecting and is affected towards males and how this is diagnosed and, and treated? Yeah. So for men, you can have sperm count and mobility and motility, all these things measured. And you know, some men will do that. Hopefully they will, because you know, it's oftentimes, I don't know, the last statistics I saw on this was almost half of the time, it's really the fault of the man, not the woman. So that at least has to be checked in any couple that's serious about this stuff. And then sometimes we get men that come in on their own. Sometimes we get men that are dragged in by their partner who's like, he's got to get tested too. And there's some kind of off-the-shelf nutritional solutions. And the ones that you see the most often on the labs that I do is you'll see nutrients related to sperm health that are compromised. And the two key ones are zinc and arginine. And so if the couple, for example, maybe they can't afford to do all the testing for the man or something, then I usually will recommend men take 3,000 milligrams of arginine a day and at least 30, maybe 50 milligrams of zinc a day and a really potent multivitamin. And those things together can get sperm counts and sperm mobility, motility and all that stuff back up and running. If they can do the testing, it's even better because then you can get more specific with additional support for the body. But those are the, like the fundamental basics that should be covered by anybody. Very interesting. What would be some other things that a man can do to optimize his body so that his, his body and his sperm are very healthy, even outside of some of these supplements you recommended? Oh, yeah. In terms of lifestyle-wise, I mean, it just comes down to such basic things. It almost gets embarrassing to just keep saying it over and over again. But you know, really, the basis of your health comes down to how much fruit and vegetables you eat. There's very few people that are protein malnourished. I mean, that's really rare. So... But almost everybody that I work with is dehydrated. They don't drink enough water. We'll have another sip here. It's my water ad. Very important. <laughs> Buy a good water filter. Yeah, get a good filter. It costs 200 bucks, but then you, it works for years. So dehydration, number one, nutritional deficit that we see. And then just not eating enough fruits and vegetables. And that leads to things like zinc deficiencies and magnesium deficiencies, calcium deficiencies, copper deficiencies. And you'd be amazed how important all these minerals are. And then, of course, the antioxidants that are present in vegetables and fruit have this massive anti-inflammatory restorative effect on the body. And if you don't eat those every meal, then you're going to run a deficit and then everything's going to not work that well, right? It's so true. I mean, as you're saying, though, this trend of getting to the root issue and really addressing it, a lot of it comes down to the lifestyle choices that people make, leading to things like infertility in both men and women and all these other conditions that plague plague not just the United States, but all of the world. So it sounds like there's obviously that trend of take care of your health as much as you can, eat right, get stay active. So really, really important there. And Dr. Kalish, you, you were talking a little bit about medications and conventional treatments in fertility just a bit ago. And when people are commonly using that, if it's couples that are using these medications to conceive, we often know that there's sometimes unwanted maybe side effects or byproducts with some of these medications. Can you kind of go down that road a little bit and explain this? And will this really affect the baby? And a lot of these questions that people may have. Yeah. So I'd say one thing, I mean, if the 
I guess there's two different scenarios. One scenario is that the trouble is trying to conceive and they do some kind of fertility treatment or IVF and then it works, right? In which case, again, I don't really see those people because they're not coming in. But what I often see, I've seen more times than I would want to remember, is a couple that's been through six months or a year or two of fertility treatments and now they've given up because it didn't work and now they're trying to figure out what to happen. So I've tested a lot of people in that situation. And what we often see is that the monthly cycle is highly dysregulated, you know, and we have to reset it. They pretty much always have insulin resistance or some kind of blood sugar instability, right? Their hormones are off in that regard as well. And we have to get that reset, get the diet working and get their blood sugar regulated and all those kinds of things. And then do everything to get the GI tract back working again. There's usually like some kind of yeast or fungal overgrowth or something dysbiotic type situation in the gut. And I think some of that are the effects of the drugs that they are throwing off the healthy microbiome and they're throwing off the monthly rhythm of hormones and they're throwing off the blood sugar in a whole variety of ways. So we're just trying to restore that basically. It's a doable project though. I mean, it's not like there's any point where it's too late, but I think it just takes a lot more work on the woman's part in terms of lifestyle changes. If she's gone through fertility treatment and it didn't work and now she wants to have a a baby naturally, I think it's just kind of twice as much work probably to get things cleaned up at that point. Absolutely. I mean, affecting, what about how the way it affects the baby? Do you think that again, these, uh, the women that go through that route through the treatments, fertility treatments and medications, does that affect the baby in a different way than if you were to address it naturally and succeed in that route? No, I don't think it does really, not in comparison with other factors. Like, I really don't think it does. I think the things that really affect babies are just the basics of who their parents are as people and what they're like in terms of not just when they're in in utero, but what they're like in their first year or two of life and how much their parents love them, basically. That seems to overcome just about any of these other challenges that couples face earlier on, I think. But I think because where we see permanent damage in human beings is if in that first couple years of life, there's physical or sexual abuse or they're abandoned in some profound way, people, you can even see on MRIs, the brain changes from those experiences. And I think that really leads to permanent problems. But I think if the couple is loving, no matter how they conceive, I think things generally work out for the baby in a good way. It's so true. The uh, nurture versus nature debate is, uh, I believe, is a very valid, valid debate in that respect. So very important to know. So Dr. Kalis, what would you say would be the most important test that you would run and that any female or male listening should be performing or getting when it comes to identifying these issues with fertility or infertility and, and are now really looking to conceive? Well, the month-long female hormone panel, you kind of have to do that one because that'll tell you right away how to actually reset the cycle. Because if she's having, for example, ovulation on day seven, then there's not enough timing, not enough time for the uterine lining to get thicker, the estrogen. If she's ovulating on day 22, then there's not enough time at the other half of the cycle. Sometimes if ovulation is just weak and there's not enough progesterone output after ovulation, then you need to supplement with progesterone. So I think that's the fundamental core test to get the actual female hormone levels dialed in. That's a central one. And it's not done that often. You know why? Because it's really hard to interpret. It's hard and you get it back and you're looking at it and you're going, wow, I don't know what any of this means. And it's like this 28 days of data and there's two hormones and they're going up one way and down another way. 
And so a lot of doctors kind of shy away from it. Even in my mentorship class that I teach, I've been teaching this class since 2006. I've been teaching how to interpret the month-long female hormone panels for over 20 years. It's the one that doctors avoid the most. Like seriously, a lot of people take my whole year-long mentorship and they skip that whole section. I know they do because we can track them. I shouldn't be saying this on a recording, but we can track their behavior and like which modules they open and look at and you know how much time they spend in there. And they, it's because it's hard. It's hard to learn how to interpret them. And so it's intimidating. Okay, I'm not trying to poke fun at doctors, but it's, they just have, yeah. And so I really try to encourage practitioners to learn how to interpret those month-long panels because then it's like, once you learn how to do it, you got it the whole rest of your career. You'll be able to do that and help a lot of women. Absolutely. That's so important. It's the difficult things that get us further along in life though, right? So for those practitioners who are listening as well, it's helpful. You can help a lot of people by learning how to interpret these month-long hormonal panels. Dr. Kalos, what about for males? What would you think is the best or what would you recommend for men in terms of the best test to, that they would get? Yeah, a basic metabolic profile with all the nutrients, right? So that's where we look at amino acids, fatty acids, the vitamins, minerals, all that, because that's what you want to know in terms of the you know, health of the sperm. I mean, it'd be nice to see the male hormones and the male microbiome and all that, but that's actually kind of extra because if you just get the guy on the right nutrients, whether it's the zinc or the arginine, or maybe they're low in who knows what, magnesium or whatever, then that's kind of the key for them. And it's easier in a sense because you don't really have to fix their hormones and fix their gut. If you can just isolate it to those basic nutritional programs, then you can get them back on track. Very interesting. Thank you so much for that insight. You know, Dr. Kalish, this has been such an amazing conversation with you today. Always a pleasure. What do you think the future of fertility treatment looks like? Is it along the lines of the functional medicine testing and specialty testing? Or is it along the lines of the infertility treatments and medications or a combination of both? Well, yeah. I mean, I've seen the future of this. It's a very famous uh, acupuncturist named Lauren Brown. And he has this acubalance clinic in Vancouver. And what does he have? He has naturopaths on staff. He has acupuncturists on staff. Obviously, he's an acupuncturist. He has functional medicine doctors on staff that do all the testing that I've been talking about since we've been doing this call. And he's got medical doctors on staff. So he's got this whole truly integrative clinic. And they get referrals from all over the US and Canada. They are just cranking busy and their programs really, really work well. And so I think that integrated approach is really where it's at. And it's way, I mean, like not just more emotionally healthier and spiritually better, but it's just more, I think, effective in terms of the odds on a woman getting pregnant than the more conventional treatments would be. But, and I also think it's hard to kind of do this as a solo practitioner. So like Whenever I get a fertility case, I always pretty much require in a nice way that the patient also see an acupuncturist who specializes in hormones. Because you do have to have this interdisciplinary approach to really make this work. Because there's a lot of different pressures going on for women and you want to address the body, the mind, the soul, the spirit, the energy, all the different things you know, that are included in something like acupuncture or Chinese medicine, as well as the functional medicine approach. That's very, very insightful. Thank you for that. And I think there's many people out there who understand what you're saying as many people now are seeing multiple different doctors for different types of conditions where that collaboration and integration of all different physicians and types of practitioners is really important to truly not only heal and improve fertility or infertility, but many, many other conditions in in the world. So thank you so much for that, Dr. Kalish. So again, amazing to have you here, Dr. Kalish. For everyone listening, you can find Dr. Kalish at kalishwellness.com. That's K-A-L-I-S-H wellness.com, as well as kalishinstitute.com. 
So for everybody listening, stay healthy. And until next time, thanks for tuning in. The Root Cause Medicine Podcast is brought to you by Rupa Health. To find out more about us and how we are changing the lives of patients and practitioners across the U.S., head to rupahealth.com. And then make sure to search for Root Cause Medicine in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere good podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Rupa Health, thanks for listening. Thank you.